0: Before, Brenda had gray hair as well. Okay.
1: Actually, we were just with uh, Clarence and Rose, and and Rose pulled out a picture that she had of our children in 1986 when we were newly arrived. In, well, we had been two years in Indonesia then, and our daughter was five and a half in the photo and our son was four. They're 32 and 30 now. So that brought
0: back fond memories, and Rose had that in one of her drawers somewhere. That's amazing. James, thank you for allowing us to come and share tonight. I lost you. Oh, there you are. Okay, thank you. We really appreciate it. We appreciate the partnership that Harvest has had in our ministry, and it really encourages us to see the large numbers that come out on a Wednesday night. That's fantastic, and we hear that on Sundays, it's even fuller, which we would expect, but You know, that's encouraging to see a a place where uh, people are coming to worship the Lord and are involved in ministry and are seeking to grow and develop in their walk with him.
1: You know, we've just been through a season of celebrating Jesus Christ, the word incarnate. And I particularly this year have just been really focusing on the, the miracle that God would come to earth uh, and be with us. God with us, Emmanuel. Um, through the years, we've, we're in Wycliffe Bible Translators because of the power of the written word, the impact that the word has had in our own lives, and God speaking to us through the pages of the Bible. And we know in our heart of hearts that he is speaking to us as, mm-hmm. as we read those words. But in recent years, we've been um, seeing the profound power of the spoken word of God.
0: You know, in James 4.12, we're told, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce asunder between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Or also in Isaiah fifty-five-three says, "Hear me, that you may live." And that hearing is what I want you to to concentrate on here, because there are a lot of societies in the world where the primary means yet of transferring knowledge is through storytelling, t- telling, and hearing is very important. Hearing the word of God. Also, there are generations of people that are. You know, it's the young people that are going to school as schools come into the areas, but the older generations probably won't learn to read or write. And so how do they come to know, and how do they intake the word? And one uh, strategy that has been developed is called storying, and one particular program is called One Story. And in that program, what they do is they we've taken uh, several of the stories passages of scripture that tell key stories from the Bible, and gotten them as basic as we can, so that they could be translated into the local languages. Now, the Yetva people in the jungles of Papua, in the island of Indonesia, James said we used to serve there, we're still involved in Indonesia. But they, up until about 15 years ago, they were not known to the outside world, and so They are one of these oral tradition societies, we would call them. But yet, as soon as they were discovered, people, they knew about them, the church went in, there were evangelists went in, there were churches planted, but all the the, uh, services and everything, all the studying was done in the national language. But the older people in particular did not know the national language and do not know the national language, and it's very limited. So the Epfoot people sent a team of two or three men to a a one-story workshop. And at that workshop, what they did is they worked on the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. You know, he had what? Five loaves and two fishes is what he had. And with us, when we think about that, well, that's what's important. Jesus created a lot out of a little, and he fed all these people, Well, in this workshop, what they do is is they they work hard at translating it into their own language. And there were several other languages there. They were working on the same thing. And these Yetva men, they were working hard doing that. And then they recorded it. And their assignment then was to go back to their village. And they were to play the recording to some of the elders there. And if they could understand it and if they could repeat the story, then they knew it was in good Yetva. And they knew that they'd done a good job translating. And then that story, if they could repeat it, it would be told over and over and over again. Well, the men, they went back to their village and they decided to go, we'll call him Mr. A. They decided to go to Mr. A's hut and they asked him if they could play this story for them. And he said, sure. And so they played the story. They said, now would you repeat it for us? And he was silent. They played the story again. Would you repeat it for us? He was silent. He didn't say anything over and over again. Could have been 20 times that they played this story, but yet he did not repeat the story for them. He was just silent. And they say they went away. They were feeling pretty discouraged. They said, we must not have done a good job in translating this. This must not be good yet. for We thought it was, but it must not be. The next morning they got up and they went to the village church. And in walks Mr. A. He'd never been in church before. He didn't come because the services were all in Indonesian. And he could barely understand it. But he came and he sat there. And during the service, they had a time for testimonies, and other people were getting up. And so Mr. A, he got up too and he shared in Yetva said, Yesterday, these people came and they shared, they told me a story about Jesus feeding many people. And when I went to sleep last night, I had a dream and I dreamt that I was eating with dead people. And he said, I don't want to eat with dead people. And I was really troubled. And when I got up this morning, I knew I needed to come to church. You know, God's word is so powerful that even just a few verses of a story that's so common for us, we hear it in Sunday school all the time, vacation Bible school, that he can take it and he can use it to begin a work of grace in the heart of someone who has never heard one verse of scripture before in his life. And that's what he did here. A few months later, there was another workshop in October, and they heard in that workshop that Mr. A had, had died. But the people that reported this, they were sure that before he died, he had come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and asked Jesus into his life. But it began with them hearing that one story in his own language. God's word has power.
1: Wycliffe is committed expressing God's love translating the word into a language that's best understood by people all over the world there's 7 billion people in the world speaking over 6,800 languages It's a lot of languages a lot of people all with one hope in Jesus Christ Of these 6,800 languages, the latest statistics are that now there remains 1,967 languages that have no scripture at all in that mm-hmm. language that represents 209 million people. We, we report it because it's a significant number. It's the first time ever that that number has now dropped below 2,000. We've been working hard to decrease those languages. And praise God, it's now foreseeable in this generation. All the languages in the world could have scripture in that language. That's an amazing thing. The message of Jesus is going out like never before. Amen. Those remaining languages, the 1,967, are distributed around the world like this. In Asia, 616. In the Pacific, 404. We work in Wycliffe, Asia-Pacific. So we're working in the area of the world that has the most of those uh, remaining languages that need to be translated. Of those 1,020 in Asia and Pacific, 340 of those are in Indonesia. And like we said, Indonesia is particularly dear to our hearts because that's where we first went in 1984. And we served in Indonesia until 2000. We came back to the States and settled in Dallas, Texas, primarily to care for my parents. And we accepted an assignment at our international headquarters there in Dallas. And Richard began working in management training while we were there. In 2006, after my parents both had died, we began praying about what God would have us do if we would stay in the States or go back to Asia. And in 2008, uh, God opened the door for us to return to serve with Wycliffe in Asia and the Pacific.
0: And the ministry that they asked us to come and help with was in the area of leadership development and organizational development. There. And, so what we've, and so that is what we've been doing. Uh, we've helped in the development of, a, of a, the development of a leadership development program. Yeah, we you know it sounds like I'm repeating myself. Maybe I am, but uh, and what we call that program, that strategy, is growing leaders. It has two meanings. One, these are people who are growing, and so they are growing leaders who are growing. And two, we are in the process of helping to grow leaders. So they are growing in that way too. Uh, growing leaders is uh, where we what we want to do is connect mission leaders, and these are leaders in Asian organizations involved in the Bible translation ministry, or Asian and Pacific Island nations. And primarily, is as, is as Asian people or Pacific Islanders that are attending this. And we connect them with coaches. We start out with a workshop format where they learn basic things uh, related to leadership within a mission organization. And these things would include, some of them are very basic. We, it would include uh, your spiritual walk, mission of God, kingdom of God, mission of the church, but things that are vital if you're going to be involved in a missions movement. And then we connect them with the coaches we have one coach for every three people that attend the workshop, and that coach is going to continue to work with them over the next two to three years. And we normally connect using the internet via Skype or something like that. We were talking with Rose and Clarence about internet access and using Skype here. <laughs> and it's an exciting program that we have. It's really it's changing lives.
1: Uh. I think some of you were praying for us in November. We had whoops. What did I do?
0: Uh,
1: Technology in it, wonderful. (laughs) Uh, We had our two thousand twelve Growing Leaders Workshop. It was held in Bangkok, and we had fourteen mission leaders who came in from eleven different countries. They came in from the Philippines, Malaysia, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Indonesia. Singapore, India, Nepal, Bangladesh, Myanmar, and Thailand. It's exciting to see how God brings these leaders together. Their mission organizations nominate them as a leader that they would like to see uh, have an opportunity to develop and have a coach. Uh, They came together. It's always fun to see uh, the mix that we're going to have. This year we had seven men, and seven ladies. So that was unusual. Um, it's also interesting to see how God is going to provide coaches um, that will work with these leaders. Uh, this year, you remember the story that Richard told about Mr. A hearing the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 people from that language had gone to a workshop. Well, the lady that heads up our one-story strategy in Indonesia is this young woman. This is Ika. Uh, Ika was nominated by her organization, Kartidaya, in Indonesia, to come as a leader um, to participate in this program. Her coach is beside her there. This is uh, Mrs. Sumi from India. She serves with Wycliffe, India. So now we have an Indian... Missionary Lady, mentoring a a Missionary Lady in Indonesia. And this was their opportunity to to get to know each other. And Mrs. Sumi will be working with Ika now for the the next two to three years as she grows as a leader.
0: On the coaching aspect of these workshops and this program, one of our objectives is to coach our leaders to help them learn to discern what God is doing in their organizations. We seek to develop an environment so that these mission leaders can continue to grow and develop the giftings and strength that God has given them and supply them and apply these giftings to how they lead. These are the men that I'll be working with over the next three years. First one I'd like you to meet is Joseph, Joseph Tang. He is the director for Wycliffe Taiwan. And uh, he is just newly in that role and really doesn't feel like he's equipped to be a leader, but he's the man that God has chosen for that. And I see that he has, I think he has a lot of giftings there. He just needs to learn how to use them. So uh, before we came up to Ohio, I was talking with him over Skype. And uh, we had a good good conversation. He was reporting back on what he had been doing, progress since the last time. Uh, We had talked and and what his plans were uh, for the next few weeks. So it was really encouraging. Uh, Jaywan Rai is from Nepal. His father was one of the, used to be a baggage carrier for people climbing Mount Everest. And the Lord spoke to his heart and not only spoke to his heart to bring him to salvation, but also that he wanted him to found a Bible translation organization in Nepal, a Nepali's organization and Jiwan is on tap for replacing his father as a leader for that organization. So that's kind of exciting uh, to be involved with that. He's really a dynamic young man, very gifted. And then the last one up there is Simon Wong. Simon is with Wycliffe Singapore, and his, in, his responsibility with Wycliffe Singapore is to present Bible translation and missions to s- churches in, in the city nation of Singapore and it's, uh, Singapore is a fairly wealthy city and there are a number of Christians there and they are interested in missions and how they can be involved in spreading the gospel around the world. So Simon's task is uh, a rather big one, but I think he's up for it.
1: The organization that we most enjoy working with is in Indonesia. Uh, This is was taken of us several trips back to Indonesia when we went in to work with them. Marnix Riapasa is their young leader. He's <coughs> energetic, he's excited about how God is going to use their organization to help meet the remaining uh, 340 languages in Indonesia that still need scripture. Uh, he's pictured here beside his wife, Vitri. You may remember back in February we asked special prayer for Marnix because Vitri passed away. Um, unexpectedly of kidney failure. Um, Vitri was the one who started the one story strategy in Indonesia and when she passed away, Ika, that I mentioned earlier, has now taken up the baton uh, to lead that movement. We also have been working um, with Marnix's assistant there uh, in the just one of the ladies here, uh, helping their organization conduct an assessment to just to, um, determine how their organization is doing.
0: This is a map of Indonesia. If you laid it out on a map of the U.S., the wide area there would go from the East Coast to the West Coast. So it's, you can put it kind of on scale. Uh, one of the new strategies that Kartidai is employing that will help speed up the way help them meet the needs for Bible translation in their country with those three hundred and forty languages is called clustering and that's where languages that are related they will in clustering you bring representatives from those languages together and they work in a workshop format to translate scripture so you instead of the time it would take to do one you could work on three four five six seven languages Recently, pastors from western Kalimantan on the island of Borneo came to visit a clustering program that Kartid, Iowa had in central Sulawesi. That flight, it took them six hours to go from one place to the other. And they visited that, and they were really quite impressed with what they saw because before they had thought, you know, this is something for outsiders to do. It, it, we can't do it ourselves. Our churches can't really be involved in it. But what they saw there was that these churches in in central Sulawesi were intricately involved in the translation process. And that was really encouraging to them because they were the ones that were ministering in these areas where these languages existed. Okay? And they also saw that it were that the Indonesians involved in this were really dedicated to this process and had been trained well, that this is showing a uh, They are actually checking a scripture portion here, and the young lady on the your right hand side with the glasses on is a qualified translation checker for for the Bible translation process. She's gone through all the training needed for that. She's gotten all the yeah. And it's here you have Indonesians working with Indonesians to translate scriptures into various Indonesian languages. That's just exciting to me. And that's exciting to the churches there too. Because here it was, wow, Indonesians can do this. It doesn't have to be outsiders that come in. We need their help. We want their help. But we can actually be a part of it. They're going from receiving churches to sending churches and doing churches. And that's exciting to see the growth in the church there in that way. Their responses... I want to challenge my congregations to be a part of Bible translation. But a denominational leader that visited there, he said, our churches will provide four buildings to be a Bible translation center in western Kalimantan. And then another response was, we are committed to supporting Bible translation in at least seven languages where we live. But they didn't want to wait. They said, let's do it now. Can we get going? What they didn't realize is there's a little bit of a planning process involved. You know, you got to have the people ready and stuff. You need the people, you need the finances lined up. But they're getting it. And so they're committed to starting it. And we hope to see that begin really soon.
1: Uh, When we went back to Asia in 2008, we settled in Manila. And last spring, we began rethinking where we were living. We realized that we were traveling mostly to... Bangkok, Singapore, and Indonesia, and our boss began talking to us and agreeing with us that maybe Manila was not a strategic place for us to live. We were living in the business district in the heart of the city of Manila. (coughs) We're country folk, (laughs) and we were ready to leave if God opened the door, and so Penang was recommended as a place to consider. So last June, We moved to Penang, Malaysia. Um, We thought it was just a smart thing to do. God knew it's what our spirits needed. Uh, So we've just felt like our move has been a a gift, a sweet gift from the Lord. Instead of looking out at city buildings, we now look out our our apartment window and see trees and hear birds.
0: We used to be, look out our window and we could see computer screens in the building next door. So this is a great relief for us.
1: <laughs> Richard grew up around here, so you can imagine how he feels. <laughs> now he can see trees again. Uh, we enjoy walking to the local market and buying our groceries there. They have grocery stores. It's a modern city, but we can choose to, to hike down the path to the local market if we want to, and we, we much prefer that we also have visual reminders of why we do what we do. Penang is a a mix Uh, Malaysia is a Muslim nation but there's also a lot of uh, Indians there who brought in their Hindu culture and there's a lot of Chinese the Chinese so what I just showed you were the Hindu temples there's a lot of Buddhist temples there too Uh, but what's impressed us saddens us is the Chinese ancestral worship. So this was taken outside our our apartment window. um, A corner apartment. This is the, I don't know if you can tell, but the lady in blue on the lower right is um, doing her ancestral worship in the morning. And they have these altars everywhere where they put out the the fruit and the, the water to satisfy the spirits and so it's just really sad to to see that. I and mean, advance to the next. And then because it's a Muslim nation, well then there's the mosques. So just on every side where we have these visual reminders of, of why we're there. We're also incredibly blessed by our little neighborhood church that we go to. The church is strong in Malaysia, but it's small. Christians make up a very small percentage of the population. But those Christians are dynamic and and we found them to be a real blessing to us. They took us in. It's a small church. We are also blessed to be a part of a a small group that meets every Friday night, uh, made up of Chinese and Indians. Malays are by law, Muslim and they're not allowed to change from that religion. So the churches are made up of the Chinese and Indian citizens of Malaysia, but not ethnically Malay.
0: It's interesting, our small group, when we meet, it starts at about 8.30 at night and we might be done by 11.30. So they don't quite stick to an hour time limit. But
1: But it's a great time of praying and singing and studying the Bible. And eating. And and eating, they love to eat. We have a lot of potlucks.
0: One of the things we want to do is build relationships with the people that God has brought into our lives there, those that live around us, not only those that we travel to meet, but those there in Penang. And we'd appreciate your praying about that. Uh, When we moved into our apartment, there was a a young man came in. The owner of the apartment had lost a number of keys, so they asked a locksmith to come in and change out locks. And he brought someone in to help him. And the man that came in to help him didn't really look trustworthy to me. You know, uh, yeah, anyways. So I kind of followed him around, especially when he went to our bedroom and was changing out locks there and he went to other places. But as I sat there talking to him, I found out this is really a great guy. And I really enjoyed talking to him. And we mentioned this to some, some of our friends missionary friends living there in Penang they said oh yeah we know who you're talking about you know there, a lot of Christians are coming into his life recently and his wife went to it was in an accident and people were praying for her and now she's better and so on and so forth so we said wow God is this someone you want us to build a relationship with so we started praying about this well we there are a lot of street side cafes in uh, Penang and so we knew where there was a little Indian one, and we went there to get something to take home for lunch. And you can eat really cheap. You can't cook as cheap as what you can buy it there. And so we went, and we got some food. We picked out what we wanted, and we turned around, and here this guy was just waving at us. And we said, oh, hi, how are you? What are you doing here? He says, oh, well, I've got. he had one of these as well, but they fixed breakfast. And we said, well, it was lunchtime. We said, well, can we get something now? He says, no, no, we're closed up, we're cleaned up and stuff. Okay, well, we'll come back. So every Saturday morning, we've been going back to have breakfast there at this little Indian cafe and building a relationship there. This is his wife right here. And that red dot means that she's married. This is the daughter. And says so she doesn't have any dot, she's not eligible for marriage. If she was eligible to be married, if she was of marriage, again, she would have a white dot there. That's about all I know of Indian culture. We think we have that right. When we think we have that right. But it is exciting. They're just so friendly and eager to talk. And we've just really been enjoying that. And we'd appreciate it if you would you would uh, continue to pray for them. He was sick the day we took the pictures. That's why we don't have a picture of him here. All right? Uh, But we would ask you to pray. We would ask you to pray for courage and sensitivity in our building of relationships in our neighborhood. I actually met a a man there in our apartment complex, Brenda and I, out walking. He went to LSU graduate school. He's a Malaysian. The government sent him there. They brought him back. And we're going, okay, Lord, here's another one. You know, maybe we can build a... a And he, I majored in agronomy. He majored in agronomy. Okay? It was, we had the, he got his, yeah, we got the same degrees. So it was kind of interesting to see that. We pray that uh, for peace and joy in our Wycliffe ministry, as I'm coaching these mission leaders and others are coaching them as well, pray that the Lord would give us wisdom as we're coaching them, that we would ask the right questions and uh, that they would be receptive. and. To what we have to say. We would appreciate that. Uh, for our consulting with Carti and other organizations, that we would have wisdom in doing that. They don't have to do things our way, our way. They know their situations better than we do, but yet there are things that it's good to have outsiders come in and consult with them on. And for improvement in our leadership development program that we have there in Asia and the Pacific, we always want to modify it. Uh, we're getting ready where we would like to train others to take it over and be leading it, uh, was encouraging to us to have this Indian lady uh, trained as a coach. There's a uh, gentleman from Hong Kong who is now our, what we call our coach's coach. He's getting more involved in that and in coaching and leadership development, how to do that. And We'd really like to see this eventually turned over where it's, it's primarily run by Asians doing this.
1: We would appreciate prayer, too, in our church ministry. Uh, They've asked us to teach some Bible classes when we go back. So they're saying, what do you want to teach? And we're praying about what um, class we might want to lead. And also they would like us to help lead the small group. Um, So that will be an exciting thing to do as well. And also, most of all, that Christ would just have total control of us, um, that our fears would not guide what we do, but we would be led by his Spirit, and we'd have courage and joy and excitement about following him, loving others because he loved us.
0: You know, you might think that missionaries don't have any fears about that. But like you, you know, should I go up and talk to this person? Should I bring up Christ in this conversation now? Is this the right time? We all have the same fears and wonderings about that. So how you would pray for yourself, think about that, and, and pray that for us as well.
1: Especially as we go back to Penang, because we left as we were still newbies when we left. So, when we go back, we'll be going back the end of February and we'll need to pick up those relationships that we had just begun. So, we'd appreciate prayer for that.
0: Okay. Any questions? Okay. Thank you. Oops. So, Brenda, if you want pop back up, we'll pray real quick
1: over here. <coughs> Let's just pray real quick here. Lord, just for Richard and Brenda, that you would just bless them and um, go before them in all ways and all things. And we just pray that you would just give them safety as they travel to and from. And Lord, you would just be with them too, just as those prayer requests said, peace and joy in ministry, clear communication with some of the language barriers there, and that you would just really bless the ministry in all ways and all things. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming out. Um, A couple things here real quick. Um, One of the things I learned very early, I've been teaching Wednesday nights out here
0: for... uh,